Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. Good afternoon, lovely people, wherever you are joining us from uh, this morning and Victoria's evening. I've got the lovely Victoria Ball uh, with me. And Victoria and I also connected on the platform Podmatch. I had quite a few really beautiful, uh, fascinating guests come on and share their story. And Victoria, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself to our audience, if you don't mind. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm Victoria Volk, and I have a business called The Unleashed Heart, and I live in rural North Dakota. Mm. I think the whole state's kind of rural, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I'm a mom. I have three teenagers and married, and um, I work in the grief space um, Mm. and also do energy healing. Beautiful. I absolutely love it, and I want to hear a little bit more about that throughout our chat today. Victoria, if you don't mind, I would like to start with your background though, with your story and how did you get into that work? What is your personal experience with grief, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. Well, it's been a lifelong adventure Mm -hmm. in grief and my father passed away when I was eight he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer about, I was about six and a half years old, I suppose. Yeah. And so much of my childhood, he was most of it, he was sick and then he passed yeah. away. So um, it, and at the same time, my grandmother was also dying of melanoma. So yeah. my mother had a lot of things that she was worrying about and you know she was caring for her mother and she was caring for her husband and Mm. uh, there really wasn't a lot of time for me to be mothered and there wasn't a lot of space for my grief Mm. and my mother my grandmother did live with us for a short period of time as well I, I remember that time briefly but she had passed away and then about a year later my father did so it was a really trying time for my mother and I can um, imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And within, I would say, well, within that year, within a year, she had met someone else and um, my sister had moved away. She graduated high school and she was a huge influence in my life. She was like, how, how much mom. older was your sister? If I don't... Nine years older. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she yeah. must have had a very mothering influence for you. In she did your and, mom not being as present yeah and I had a brother in between too but he mm-hmm. was kind of you know 14 15 got a job did yeah. his own thing you know kind yeah. of thing so um it was just a lot of change mm-hmm. and a lot of trauma in a short period of time because I was also sexually abused mm-hmm. um between the age of nine and twelve and yeah. so they're really I really um I think I just really buried a lot and became a very, it really showed up. It showed grief shows up differently over Mm. the years. Like when, especially when you grow up with it, it's going to present itself differently as you get older. And as I was getting to my teenage years, um, the relationship with my mother really changed and, Mm. um, there wasn't a lot of trust. There wasn't a lot of feeling safe and secure and, you know, yeah. all those things. 
my mother did remarry the man she had started dating and, Mm -hmm. but that was not a healthy marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, it it was just a really difficult upbringing. I I really had to parent myself from Mm -hmm. a very young age and I learned how to do that. So Um, how old were you when your older sister moved out? Well, my dad passed away in March of, Mm -hmm. and then she graduated that May. No, it would have been the following May. So within the year, my mom had remarried and she moved out. So you were about nine or 10 when she moved out? Yeah, nine and my mom remarried and she moved out. So yeah, it was a really difficult time for me. A lot of loss, a lot of loss. Yeah. And we often talk about these accumulated loss, you know, when one thing happens and it leads to the next. And then you think about all, all the things that you lose with that. And it's not not only people that we're talking about. It's that feeling of safety, of security, of family, of unity, of community, you know, and your sister in particular being there for you and then moving out as well. That, that I can so see uh, the implications my, that happened there. And my father's family. So once he passed away, they weren't even in my life anymore. My grandparents weren't either. Yeah. And so I lost a whole family as well. And so to try to make sense of that and understand that you make your own stories as a child when no one sits you down and explains things to you. Yeah, of course. And I think, yeah, if I just may say quickly, I I think, well, I, I know from experience, it makes such a huge difference how your environment supports you in particular when you're that little I mean I was now now I say I was lucky enough that I was 20 when I lost my dad back then I did not feel lucky at all but then I looked at my boys and they were 10 and 8 when they lost their dad you know so my little one was same age like you and it is so different when you see that and how they understand and how they cope at that age but um I say that without blowing my own trumpet, they were lucky enough to have me to hold space for them because I had the experience and I had the background. So um, not having that support, I have a pretty clear understanding of how devastating uh, that would have been for you, not knowing where to turn and and being completely alone with all of that. You do make up your own stories and your own Mm -hmm. reality almost, I'd say. Yeah, and you really stuff down. Mm -hmm. And probably, you know, and especially with sexual trauma, probably dissociate from your own body, you know, and, you know, um, grief is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. And so that wasn't Mm -hmm. where my grief ended. Like there, you know, you grow up, you have more grief, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the grief continued in well into my adulthood. Mm -hmm. And it was when I had children, because that really the anger started to come up for me mm. and it was all yeah. of that buried anger that I wow. had not expressed and didn't have a way to channel it and mm-hmm. um, didn't have an outlet of expression. And I did journal, um, mm. but my mom read my journal. <laughs> so oh. that kind of stopped me from journaling, yeah. you know, so much so, for trust. Yeah. Right. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I just really learned how to, just not care anymore and became very angry about it and it I really you know it sets you up too for to be really because I'm sensitive too on top of it you Mm. know I was the kid that was called the crybaby because I would cry all the time Mm. and so you know I heard often children do hear you know if you want something to cry about 
go to your room and cry, or I'll give you something to cry about. I yeah. heard that, you know? Yeah. So I actually hid to cry. I'd go under yeah. my bed, cry myself to sleep, go in the linen closet, cry myself to sleep. Um, actually the kitchen cupboard actually one time too, but they mm. actually sent a search party out for me because they could not find me because I hid to mm. cry. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I did not know how to express my emotions Yeah, and there was no and space. How could you? When you're when you're that little and you don't learn it, you don't have, you know, a model to look up to to learn how to actually do that. I mean, how can you? Can I ask at what stage did you actually or did you ever grieve the loss of your childhood? Then not really having like a proper childhood per se, because first there's a sickness and there's the loss, then there's a grief, then there's a sexual abuse. There was like literally not a moment from where I stand where you could just be a child and be loved. That's what you're supposed well, to life. be as a child. And did you ever get the chance to really grieve your childhood? Not until I've gone through grief recovery. Did yeah. I learn how to even learn how to. Yeah. Where it didn't debilitate my life, you know, or Here's the thing too, if you do, if you try to, or if you attempt to, you, okay, first of all, you can't heal on an island. You mm. can't address your grief on an island. I've tried it for 30 mm. plus years. It mm. doesn't work. Yeah. You need the support. You need the and guidance and you have to learn how to do it in a supported mm. way. And I, cause I didn't have that ever. Right. So yeah. It wasn't until I knew how to do it, how to grieve yeah. and how to process all of those emotions that I never had the opportunity to before yeah. that really just yeah. changed my life. It literally changed my life. Cause I yeah. went down to um, Austin, Texas to certify as a grief recovery specialist in 2019. Mm -hmm. And wow. it was really a full circle moment too, because mm -hmm. it was after I'd written my book and I had reconnected with my uncle. He was yeah. my, my father's last living mm -hmm. uh, brother. He yeah. had been diagnosed with brain cancer and I went to see him and I had not mm -hmm. seen him since my father's funeral. And that was about wow. 30 years, almost to the day. Wow. And we had six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had six months to reconnect and mm -hmm. that changed my life. Yeah, um, that's beautiful. I'm glad you did and, that. Yeah. Mm. It and, takes a lot uh, of courage. So I just want to say kudos to you. That's incredible. Yeah. I didn't even know if he'd know me when I walked yeah. in the door, but I had this, I, I felt pulled to see him and I felt like mm. he needed to see me. Like he yeah. needed it. Wow. I'm having goosebumps when you say that my whole body is just covered in goosebumps right now. Um, Victoria, there are a couple of questions that came up while you were talking. First of all, tell us a little bit about your book. What is the book about? How did you come up with writing the book? Well, I knew I had wanted to write a book. I had talked about it for a good four or five years prior mm. to it. And um, just a happenstance conversation, a one-off mm. conversation with someone who told me about um, a book writing um, mm. course. Mm -hmm. And this woman was taking beta testers for it. And I had the privilege oh, well. and the honor of being a part Perfect. of it. Yeah. yeah. And so with three months, I wrote my book, The Guided Heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, 
it was really at that time because I published it. It came out in 2017, towards the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. And um, it was more or less what I had been learning up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, spirituality was not a part of my life up mm-hmm. until um, my husband and I got together, really, because he was a, you know, faith, faithful person, you know, he had, mm. a, he had a belief system and, mm. and I was kind of angry at God for most of my mm. life, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, but it was, was a very slow, after my dad yeah. passed, I, I really questioned a lot of my faith and sent me on a spiritual journey. So I can imagine what you must've gone through. And that's the other important thing I want to mention for people too, is that mm. when you don't sit with your children and talk about the truth about what happens when someone mm. dies and you know, it could be your beliefs, right? Mm. But again, it's, it's just sharing what you, if you don't have anything to hold on to, you make up yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think it can be so beneficial for a child to feel like they can still have a connection with that loved one that it doesn't end just because they died. They can still talk about the person. They can draw pictures about the person. They Mm. can write stories about the person. They can Mm. ask questions about the person without upsetting somebody. Yeah. And that's what I so often see is that parents or grandparents or whatever don't want the child to even talk about the parent or the, you know, the person who died because it upsets them. Yeah. And that's really dishonoring the child's grief and, and lack of, it's not supporting their journey and understanding Mm. grief. Yeah. And may I say it also dishonors the person that has passed because I, I'm a big believer to keep saying their name. You're not, not forceful, not in a, we have to talk about him every day, but just in a natural way, you know, why, why tell children, they're not to talk about it. You know, I really don't agree with that. So yeah, it really, it really holds you back in your own grieving journey and puts even more confusion into yours, you know, into, well, how am I supposed to deal with this? How am I supposed to talk, not talk? And there is so much expectation in our society that really does not support us in the way we heal in the way we grieve. So how did you go from, sorry, did you, yeah, I was just going to say, and I think if as a person who is, yeah. you know, let's say you ha- you are a parent of a child who's lost a significant, uh, mm. like significant loss. Yeah. If the child bringing that person up upsets you, mm. you need to look within and ask yourself why that is. I agree. Yeah. Because I think we're 100%. so uncomfortable to talk about our feelings and our own grief yeah. that this is how generation, this is how these generational patterns continue. Mm. over time these beliefs about grief like we don't talk about it we sweep it Mm. under the rug we stuff it down yeah but eventually we implode or we explode we just do it comes out as migraines or eczema or fibromyalgia you know we have these issues with our bodies yes yeah absolutely or we have angry it's all the unresolved emotions yeah yes I couldn't agree more with you. I also like, um, I watched one of your interviews and I heard you speak about the replacing and that really spoke straight to my heart because I'm a huge believer in not replacing anyone. But I also really believe that, um, that we can recreate things that we need 
that we are not supposed to live with a hole in our life, a hole in our heart or whatever people refer to. I was never a big believer in that. I know that I can't replace my husband and I don't want to, but it doesn't mean that I want to stay alone for the rest of my life either. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's about, it's about creating what we can, stepping into empowerment and healing, allowing that healing in, allowing joy, allowing happiness back in. And I strongly believe that grief and joy can absolutely coexist. I'd love to hear your input on that, your insight, what, what came up for you in your own journey and what have you really learned when you did the grief recovery method? Absolutely. And I agree with you hundred percent. And I just want to elaborate on replacing the mm. loss. It doesn't have to be Please. replacing one person with another person. You can be oh. replacing that loss with workaholism. Possible. Mm. You can be replacing mm. that person with mm-hmm. shopping or mm-hmm. gambling or drugs or alcohol. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't, it replacing the losses. It's like you said, trying to get something you need from something, mm-hmm. some external, something else, Sources, either if yeah. it's a person, mm-hmm. yeah, a person yeah. or a thing or a behavior, which mm-hmm. we call STURBS, short-term yeah. energy relieving behaviors oh, that wow. people resort oh, to. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard that. I love it. I need to write this down. Yeah. <laughs> STURBS. STURBS. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And that's the thing where people don't recognize, you know, they, you know, especially workaholism, they might think they're doing, mm. I'm handling my grief. I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. Yeah. I'm doing fine. I'm just keeping busy. Mm. Yeah. That's one yeah. of the myths of grief, keeping yeah, busy. Absolutely. And other people on the outside see you functioning mm. and going yes. about your day and doing yeah. life and going mm. to work and, oh, well, she must be doing, She's doing okay. a lot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But then she goes home and drinks a bottle of wine at the end of the night, yeah. every night, you every know, night, exactly. That's yeah. how it starts, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting that you, say, that you say that, Victoria, because I remember after Rob died, I deliberately didn't drink alcohol for quite some time. And I'm, I'm not an addict. I, I don't have a problem with alcohol or without, I know it's a stupid joke, but I'm just saying it, you know, it's just something where I made a deliberate choice because I didn't want that to become a coping mechanism I very deliberately decided I don't want any sort of way out or just ease this or ease that and then it could build up I saw that there was a potential um, yeah it could potentially happen and I thought I don't want to do that you know it was a very uh, conscious decision for me in that moment and also I thought hey I'm a sole parent now, you know, if something happens in the middle of the night, they get hurt, whatever, I have to go to hospital or not even that bad, but they need me. I want to be present for them. I don't want to be sitting there with my third glass of wine or something. You know, I really made a very conscious decision about not doing that. Yet I also see what you say, you know, in terms of when people um, really make the decision to put their mind to something that keeps them busy. I think it's the trickiest and most challenging thing to actually sit with your grief, to allow the emotion to, you know, when you mentioned anger before, anger is such a cover-up emotion, to look what's actually underneath, what is the driving force of that anger, what's the actual emotion behind it. And that, to me, is work where you said that so beautifully. You can't do that on an island, you know. You need support. You need someone with an outside perspective. You need someone to guide you and hold space for you through this through the thickness of that so i'd love to hear a little bit about your journey 
from the book to doing the training, there was roughly two years from the time from that you've given me. In 2017, you released the book and in 2019, you started a training. Tell us a little bit about that journey that got you into it and how you went with the training. I, I bet it must have brought up a lot for you to work through as well during the training. Well, the book did too. Yeah, I the bet. book was really, yeah, the yeah. book was really the first time I Catalyst. was really kind of yeah. looking at mm. things differently. And, um, but I realized, right, I think writing the book actually helped me realize that um, I wasn't okay. Mm. And I had a friendship um, that fell away because I recognized after the fact, in hindsight, right? that I was trying to get something that she could not give. Mm. Um, She, I'd never met anybody like her. I felt like she was a sister from another mother. I really felt Mm. connected to her, like Mm. a spiritual sister in a way. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I was too much for her. I believe, Mm. I know I was now, Mm. you know, like I was, I was too intense or too, too much at the time like but it was because all of that stuff I had had come up when I was writing the book right was it was after that I had met you know we had started to you know be you know started this online friendship right we had known each other for quite some time and we would talk and on the phone and stuff and Mm -hmm. um I just felt really connected to her as a friend and I, she just, it, she cut ties and it Mm. felt abrupt and it felt abrasive and hurtful. And I realized it was, but I recognized because of that, I recognized how I took things, would take things so personally Mm. and how in other friendships, there was always something that I would find. I don't know. It just a lot opened up for me with mm-hmm. that loss. Yeah. And I thought, God, I can't even, you know, I just knew I was struggling in the friendship department in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and my other relationships too. Right. Cause all yeah. of these things, they, they impact all areas of our life. Grief impacts every area yeah. of our life, our money, everything. And I've closed yeah. a business too. My youngest yeah. had started kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in 2014. And that's really when all of everything kind of came to the forefront for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when my looking at my feelings started, I started to actually do that, but mm-hmm. it's been a long process, but I realized yeah. I wasn't okay, but I also wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I couldn't help people if I didn't feel like I was in the space to even help people. Right. Yeah. And so wanting to help people was a huge driver, but also wanting Mm. to feel good within my own body was too. And I did it. I'm so glad you say that we always need to start with ourselves. Yeah. I did a Google search and I found it and that was that. Mm. And I've, it's led to energy healing work, which I'm, I'm a certified biofield tuner, which uses tuning. Tell us a little bit about that. I'd really love to hear more about what that actually is. Yeah. That's my newest adventure because before that I, I'm a Reiki certified Reiki master yeah. as well. But yeah. um, I think Reiki biofield... is something people are quite familiar with. But yeah, tell us about the bio the biofield. What is it? Biofield tuning. 
it addresses the energy and i mean it's self-disorder yeah (laughs) well you know around it yeah yeah because you know our energy field Mm. goes five to six feet out extends Mm -hmm. five to six feet out you know so like when you meet somebody Mm-hmm. whether it's good or you get good vibes or like, you kind feel of, it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You feel I'm, I'm it's your energy field. Yes. Yeah. It's your energy field bumping into their yeah. energy field. It's like, we have these antennas. It's like the, we're caterpillars and we've got all these, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so what, what biofield tuning set, the theory is, is that our memories are not stored in our mind. Mm-hmm. They're stored in our biofield, our energy yeah. field. And the energy yeah. field informs the body and the body informs the energy field. Mm-hmm. And so we, with the tuning fork, I can, we can actually pick up the dissonance of where that is oh, in our wow. energy field. And it's, you know, th- that's incredible. Right, right up to your body is present day. And then yeah. five to six feet out is at gestation wow. and we work our way in. And so it's been pretty incredible. The things mm. that can come up in someone's timeline of their Mm. life. And depending on where that is, it could be at the, you know, the knee chakra, it could be at one of the, you know, the third eye or the throat chakra or the heart chakra, the back chakras, we work a lot with the back chakras as Mm -hmm. well. But it's my all of my Reiki clients. um, I, you know, when I was going through the training and things, I they were my practice, my mm. practice people. They all. I, I'm so fascinated by that. My, I'm so into everything that you just shared, and I'm a huge believer of it. And I'm very familiar with the process of timeline therapy because I've practiced that a lot. But that to me seems like, you know, to the tenth. Like it's just so incredible when you add energy healing, energy tuning to that. It's incredible. I absolutely love that. I've never heard of it before. I read your bio, so I was really I couldn't wait to. Uh, have you explain a little bit about that and uh, how how it actually works? I I assume that this is something that you only do in person, or can you do that online as well? I can do it. Well, every every too. energy person really does it in, in distance as well. I'm not even sure what I'm asking, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it. Um, I can connect with people over the phone so they can mm-hmm. hear the tuning forks which wow. you don't have to hear the tuning forks for it to work or for it to have an effect. Yeah. It's just as effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's personal preference. I mean, for my per- personally, yeah. for my clients, I have some that don't mind the distance, yeah. some that prefer in person, mm-hmm. but um, it's been pretty incredible what comes up. I mean, we can do so many different things. There's an adrenal reset where we just yeah. work on the adrenal specifically. There's incredible. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been incredible. And the tuning forks, it's really crazy how I actually had a client where she, I'm like, your left ankle's coming up. And I wasn't Mm. even working on her left ankle. I'm like, did you sprain your ankle or something twisted Mm. or something? She's like, a week ago, I sprained my left ankle. (laughs) And so I used, we have uh, a tuning fork set they're a weighted fork set called the Schumann resonance set. Yeah. And Schumann resonance is it's based on science, but every, the electromagnetic energy or the, the frequency of the earth Mm -hmm. is caused from every lightning strike around the globe. And that energy frequency is called Schumann resonance. So Mm -hmm. this 
this tuning fork set together is Schumann resonance is the same frequency of the earth. And so I use these forks a lot on the body. So anyway, Mm. I put them on the left ankle Mm. and I put it on the right. She Mm. could feel the difference between the left and the right ankle. It's always like a thrumping, like a, you can feel the difference in those. You can't hear the difference in the weighted forks, but she was like, wow, that is so cool. Yeah, I yeah, love it. I, I think it's so cool, you know, just listening yeah, to you. I'm like, is. wow. Victoria, I would, um, I'm going to put you on a spot here. I could have waited till after, but now I'm going to put you on a spot. I've actually recently added a resource corner to our group, Loving Love After Loss. And I'd really love to uh, have you in there as well, because I think what, what you offer in particular, that energy work is something I've never heard before and I really think it would be amazing um, to add you in there as well but we'll chat after the interview about that a little bit more um, I, I can do also... group tunings too oh amazing amazing yeah. I love that this is incredible Victoria I know time always flies when you when you're having such an interesting conversation and I'm, I'm so drawn to the work that you do and, and the path that you have walked I just want to say absolute huge kudos to you from where you have started as a child you know the the sources the resources that you have been given or rather not given and what you have created for yourself who you have become uh, as a grown-up person and what you give to the world right now I'm having goosebumps you are such a blessing to this world and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today and sharing just that little bit of your journey with us so before I let you go, I'd love to hear, is there anything, um, any last, you know, things that you want to share with our audience? And we will definitely share all your links and to the book uh, or website, etc. have people get in touch with you in the comments below. Is there any message that you would like to leave us with? I can tell you after 30 plus years, never lose hope. Yeah. Because it's not permanent but it can be yeah. if you choose it to be permanent, mm. yeah. if you choose to stay in that place. And yeah. there's always a way out. Mm. Always. Thank you, you so it. much. I couldn't agree more. I love, love, love those words. I'm not even going to add anything to it because this is an absolute perfect final shout out to the world. Thank you so much for being here today, Victoria. This is Victoria Volk and Maria Lissi signing off. Bye for now. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about Loving Life After Loss, please visit mariealessi.com. I shall see you next week. Bye.